Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. Shortly, I'm going to be joined by Buck, and we are going to discuss all this week's news, including episode two of Stab in the Dark, Italo goes a bit rogue, calls out some of the biggest surfers in the world for a few different things. It's it's all happening, so you can watch that there. Also, two new finalists are selected, only one spot left. Next up, we have the WSL. There's some really, really, really big news. We're going to report it as a rumor because we don't have all the facts, but there is something huge happening in a certain part of the world that you wouldn't necessarily associate with surfing. Also, we have an Ace Bucken interview. Ace is, I mean, God, he spent 16 years on the tour, and his farewell was just not quite what it should have been, really. So we got him on the phone to discuss what he's been doing since then and how he reflects on his 16 years as a tour surfer. We're also going to get into some travel stuff, Australia and France. There's a lot of big stories happening, including one that I just thought was completely made up by Paul Evans. You're going to have to read it and hear us talk about it to understand, but it just sounds like so far-fetched, but apparently it actually happened. And of course, we have a surf sin, perhaps one of our best sins to date. Not necessarily the sin itself. The sin was good, but the delivery of this is just incredible. I recommend you watch it on Instagram, but we'll of course air the audio on here. So with that, let's drop in. Mikey, it is another week. And guess what? We've got Challenger Series on. We sure do. Have you been glued? I've been glued. I like the Challenger Series. You know, we've talked about before we are a Challenger Series podcast, but I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's actually what I've been doing is because I've, I've obviously got a lot of things going on, but I've been tuning into like the last five minutes of every heat and the last five minutes of every heat has been fucking phenomenal. Like every time I turn it on, somebody's either getting a buzzer beater or almost getting a buzzer beater. Miguel Tudela yesterday needed like an eight at the end and like snuck off and got this crazy wide wave and did like 15 turns and they gave him like a seven. It was really rude. But yeah, it was. It, it's been good viewing. <laughs> That's always bad when the math like of turns to score ratio is like that like you don't really want to be getting anything less than a point for a turn not not good yeah it's not good that was um italo in last year's finals he did 11 turns on a lowers right and got a high six and that's why he lost that first round heat to felipe so we'll get into that we'll get into that oh did he though did he though that's coming that'll be our first topic but actually let's get right there Stab in the Dark with Italo Ferreira, episode two, where somehow in a surfboard review testing, he talks about how he doesn't, he, he's not sure that he lost that world title, it seems. He's, well, that's, he, he made it seem like people around him were not sure. He didn't take the step to say, I think I won. He said, a lot of people told me that I won. Yeah, yeah, that's a good move. That's um, the former president of the United States to do that, where you just say, many people are saying. <laughs> so, But wow, this episode, I mean, obviously watching him try boards is what it's all about. But this one goes deeper into his, like, it's just him talking a lot, too. And I found it fucking fascinating. I love the opening, too. I think, I think, oh. let's start a rivalry. Jordy Smith, Italo Ferreira. What do you think? Do you think do you think that was calculated? Do you think he saw what Jordy said about him and how servers get paid? I so wish that he did. I so wish that it was like, yeah, that happened. 
But the thing is, that episode of How Surfers Got Paid aired after we filmed Stab in the Dark. So it's complete coincidence. Really? That Italo went on a Jordy Smith tangent and we opened this episode with it because that's what we did. And when we put out the How Surfers Get Paid episode, we honestly felt a little bad for Italo because of just how like harsh it was what Jordy said. But the fact that Italo just kind of like completely out of the blue came back with his own little Jordy bash. It's just so perfect. So we had to throw it up front of this episode. Wow. I know because that was like, I mean, I'm sure he, that's not the only person he's done that to. Like maybe that was the best example. But there's like still a lot of time left in that heat when he landed that first one. Like that, Italo has stolen heats from people a lot. Like for him to call out. Well, do you know he's done it twice to Jordy? Like, so when he first said what he said in that thing, we got the original translation and the original translation didn't have Karamas in the text. So he just said like, yeah, like Jordy let this wave go. And I went and I got a 10 and beat him in the final. And we're like, oh, he's talking about Portugal because he did that in Portugal. And literally we had a clip in there of Portugal. That was like the original clip. And then the, the guy who did the translations came back and he's like, oh no, he said Karamas. And we we're like, oh shit. So we went back to the Karamas and then found that footage. And it's like, holy shit, he did this twice to Jordy, the same exact thing. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I think it makes me curious now. It makes me wonder if um, if there is a weird, I mean, in this episode, he also talks about how he interacts with everybody else on tour and how he used to try to be more in the scene and get along with everybody and go to the parties, and now he's just on his own path, which is really cool. But I wonder if they've like had any weird exchanges, him and Jordy. I don't know. It would be... Other than an exchange in the heat when it's uh, a last-minute 10. Yeah, I hope for Italo's sake it wouldn't be on dry land because his neck would be craning about vertically in order to interact with Jordy. Yeah, there's a height difference there. It'd be funny to see a Jordy stab in the dark board versus an HLO one too. Just uh, different, <laughs> different. I mean, objects at that point. Can't yeah. both count them as the same thing. That's very true. So this episode, as you kind of mentioned, it gets more into Italo's competitive side. That's really what we wanted to showcase here and sort of, yeah, like where his drive comes from and why he kind of is the way he is, which some people love, some people don't love as much. But I think when you see this, even some of the people who are on the hater side will start to understand it a bit more, which was kind of the whole goal of this series is to get to know somebody that, you know, he's gone through a bit of a shift in the in the surf zeitgeist. You know, the, the cultural perspective of Italo shifted. He used to be this kind of like humble dude who was just really energetic and everybody was cheering for. He was the people's champ when he beat Medina. And then, you know, he wins the Olympics and he takes on a little bit of like a different persona. So we're we're trying to peel back the layers a little bit of Italo. Um, and I think in the third episode, we're going to get into that a little bit more as well. But basically him saying that, yeah, like, I wear expensive jewelry now and stuff, but when I was a kid, I wore a chain as well. It's just, it was made of steel because I couldn't afford anything else. He was surfing with a steel chain around his neck. So, wow. And the other thing that I really want to discuss about this episode, well, first of all, I'm going to, I'm going to rattle off the shapers. So the shapers in this episode are Britt Merrick of Channel Islands, Christian Bradley of Bradley Surfboards, Keith Taboul of KT Surfboards, Matt Biolas of Lost, and Jason Stevenson of JS. Those are the five boards that are going to go up against one another in this, uh, in this episode. Two of them are going to advance to the final. Three are going home. And I want to give a little bit of an explanation of how we actually set up this year's Stab in the Dark, because it's changed over the years. It's always evolved and whatnot. And when you watch these episodes, it really makes it feel like he's just surfing against these boards as opposed to 
pinning all 12 boards against one another and like picking the best four from that bunch. In reality, that's kind of what's happening. You just don't see that in the episode. So what we did was we had Italo surf all 12 boards first, and he sort of gave his initial reaction to them. And we started to understand which ones he liked a lot, which ones he didn't like that much, and which ones were sort of in this middle ground. And from there, what we did was to sort of create a bit of tension in the show is to pin some boards up against one another that are sort of in those three veins. So we had each episode, we had a board that he either didn't like that much, or maybe he broke. And then we had a board that he really liked. And then we had a few boards in the middle that could really compete against one another to get those final spots in the final. So when you're seeing these episodes, understand that he is comparing all 12 boards to one another. We just manufactured it a little bit so that we could get the uh, the boards to the final in a more sort of dynamic and interesting way. Uh, so I just wanted to give a little bit of an explanation on that because it's not so clear when you're watching the episodes themselves. Well, it sounds like he only needs two waves to figure out a board anyway. He's like, he's like, yeah, you go one, see how fast it goes, and then go another and see how it turns. Like, that's it. I'm good. Like, If it was up to him, he would have surfed pretty much three waves on each board and come in. We had to kind of like convince him. It's like, yeah, like I, I know you know, but we need to be able to show other people why this board is better than that board. <laughs> he was like, when we went there, we had a 10-day trip with him. And the first thing he said when we get there, he's like, hey, we can knock this out in like four days, right? <laughs> We're like, no, that's not. And to be fair, he pretty much did finish it in like seven days. We had a couple down days as well. So he finished it far faster than any other surfer ever has because he's just so quick getting waves and making those distinctions. But yeah, we made sure that we we got um, enough footage to actually build the series out as well, which is kind of the most important thing to our audience, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, I loved it. Episode two is great. And I get another layer of the onion, you're saying, next week? I, I'm, I don't want to give too much. Like I'd say episode two is probably the most um, compelling on the storytelling side. Episode three gets you to the final finalist, which is a big moment. And then ep four, it's finals time, baby. We're going to learn more about those four shapers and we're going to go deep and pick a winner. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to, I'm excited for that chain thing too. I mean, he is lucky that Jordy Smith isn't a uh, team manager because he'd still have trouble buying. He'd still be in the steel collection, I think, but we'll save that for next week. Rumor, the WSL is going to the Middle East. What? Ooh, this is a hot one. This is a hot one. It sounds fake. It's not fake. It's a rumor at this point, but something's going on here. There's something going on here, Mikey. Tell me more, Buck. I need to know. All right, Mikey. Let's pull it back a little bit, okay? So when I say WSL, I mean a Kelly Slater Wave Company pool. WSL owns the Kelly Slater Wave Company. That pool in the mower was first showed in the world in 2015. Shout out Adriano. And in 2016, WSL bought the company. Thus far, it's the only one in the world. Um, there's been a few attempts. They bought land and even broke ground in Florida to build one. But there's a water table issue there that made it impossible. And then they're pushing forward with one in Palm Springs that eventually got rejected by the town hall, whatever you call these people, um, that was just last September. I think it got denied. So, only one in the world, and Wavepool insiders say there's not too much demand for these things. That is not because it's not good technology, it's just that it's very specific technology. That pool in Lemoore creates between 12 to 25 waves an hour. Other pools do thousands. So, just by that alone, you have to, it's a way different game 
to make a business out of this thing. And most people seem more drawn to making the business of like, okay, let's just make a ton of waves, get a ton of people to surf them. Surf Ranch doesn't do that. I mean, they, so they pretty much have to find these kind of high money communities that you could charge something for that more luxury experience. And guess what, Mikey? There's a few of those in the Middle East. Yeah, there certainly is. Um, obviously, we've seen the Middle East going into a lot of investment outside of oil. They're trying to modernize, which is smart. They started a Rebel golf tour. We've talked about whether or not they could start a Rebel surf tour. This seems like a logical first step. Yeah, get it going. Get it going. And I mean, beyond that, like they're, they are clearly, there's quite a few countries over there that are clearly, they have a lot of money and they're trying to use it to get away from oil and have some industry in the future. So there's crazy shit happening. Like there's a $500 billion megacity that they're planning in Saudi Arabia. Qatar paid $250 billion for the World Cup. Um, there's a $750 million water park coming in Saudi Arabia too, which for context, it took 30 mil to build the more, but wow. a lot of that was likely R&D. Like that was the first one they built. So you could probably do cheaper than that. And it's hard to put a, a, an exact cost on it because you know you have to purchase property that changes dramatically no matter where you're at. And also every chunk of earth has a different set of challenges for you. So you can't really attach like a, one figure fits all for it. And that's not known. All we know is that 30 mil for Lemoore, but it's probably lower. So a $750 million water park, yeah, might as well just, I mean, you can't, you almost can't not have a Kelly Slater wave company pool if you're going $750 million on a water park, right? Okay, so is this thing going to Saudi Arabia? That's what we don't know. That's what we don't know. We've heard some whispers, Mikey. Originally, we were hearing around Dubai. We don't know if that was meant to mean the whole entire region of other countries around Dubai <laughs> or if that meant near the city of Dubai. So, okay. Can we put a call out? So back in, I don't know what it would have been like 2006 or so surfing magazine put out a Google earth challenge to find the best wave in the world. And they found Namibia's skeleton Bay, which to be fair to this point is still probably the best wave in the world. So I want to put it out now. I mean, now it's like we're so far ahead. We're almost 20 years in the future. We got AI. We got so many different tools to help us. Surely somebody listening to this podcast can find this fucking wave pool somewhere in the Middle East. Yeah. Good call, Mikey. Come on, people. You would be finding you would have that new thrill, you know, just like the Google Earth people did. You would find a really good wave. If you want to, if it'd be a different way of trolling Google earth to get this set up but it's same thing you're finding a perfect wave if somebody finds this thing for us we will make it worth your while if you send it in if we can verify it we will seriously make it i can't say that we're going to get you into that pool but we will get you into some awesome wave pool sometime in the near future if you help us out with this wow i love that mikey that's a really good call but beyond that how do you feel about this what's your what's your take oh i think this is just rich people doing rich people shit i don't think it's gonna i mean the WSL, if it's true it's they're probably gonna run an event there right it's a little bit more compelling than going to lamore at this point to have it in some uber wealthy middle eastern country that's like at least sounds kind of cool and interesting of course if the wave's exactly the same it's like pretty whatever but yeah, I don't know. I don't think this is going to really mean much in the grand scheme of surfing, but it's an interesting story nonetheless. Yeah, it would be really interesting. And in this story, I also talk about when Sophie Goldschmidt was CEO 
that was, I think, around the time when they first bought it. And I know at least under her reign, like, there were years where it was still a new thing and they were trying to get more built. And they had full plans to, like, there's a quote of her saying that they wanted to do not just CTs in that technology, but they wanted to do everything down to, like, junior events. They wanted to get them around the world. Like, there was a point when the vision was to try to get those things everywhere where now last year, Eric Logan, the current CEO, told me we're pretty selective about it now. So things have changed. I think being selective, this technology is pretty selective for investors too. It's like, it's... That that sounds like some pretty uh, bullshit business speak. Yeah, we're really selective about who we sell this major item to. It's like, no, you're not. You would sell it to anybody. <laughs> you kidding me? The WSL needs to make money. Like, you think they're just withholding this fucking one valuable asset that they have? No chance. <laughs> you can't have it. No, no. Only Dubai can. Well, we're just going to go into bankruptcy. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> yeah, know. But big, big change of tune there. So let's see. We'll keep you posted on this one. There is something going on here. I'm sure that we just don't know exactly what it is, but there's something going on with wave pools in the Middle East that it seems like the WSL is involved because, you know, they have a crazy good wave pool company. So let's see. Stay tuned. The Stab interview with Ace Buckin. Wow, Mikey, he, I didn't expect this, but he goes scorched earth here. He's <laughs> dropping F-bombs. He's screaming, like, it sounded like he yelled at Taylor, who did the interview at one point. Like, he got mad. At it was like, I really didn't expect Ace to be like that. It's crazy. What do you think? Yeah, Ace gone wild. <laughs> the most composed man in surfing. I lied. He was just so composed and lovely. He still said some really insightful, like, he... That little bit of distance, you know, I think helps so much. And now that he's he fell off tour at the mid-year cut last year and he wasn't sure if he's going to try to qualify again or what he's going to do, now he's just kind of realizing, like, no, I'm not going to go back on. So he's retired, which is just so awkward after a year of, like, limbo land and just not having that whole – yeah, the mid-year cut just poses that weird thing with, like, people falling off tour, I guess. Um, so – now that he's not going to compete again, Taylor caught up with him, and yeah, he did not. I don't think he used the F word once. He doesn't seem to do that. He's the much better man than I. And it's a good read. What'd you learn? Um, I learned that Ace and I had something in common. So although he, you know, grew up near the beach, he was not able to surf that often because he was very dedicated to school. So he was doing like, I think they said basically like two and a half hour round trip every day to get to school. And if he was lucky, he got 20 minutes in the water before sundown. Um, I grew up not near the ocean, actually. So I didn't exactly have that experience, but I was like a weekend warrior for a very long time. So I really appreciated that. Also just learning Glenn Micro Hall makes a cameo in here kind of explaining, you know, just why Ace was so important. I, I thought he lended a lot of, yeah, just really good points about Ace and everything that he's done. I mean, dude, anybody who's been on tour for 16 years, like that's insane. Like that's a lot of life. That's insane. Like, and just to be able to maintain your position on tour for that long, like, you know, Ace has gotten some flack for having relatively 
conservative surfing or whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't know, just he's not the big air guy. He's not the guy who's going to like make the video part that's going to blow your mind necessarily. But to be that consistent over that many years, over that many, you know, new generations coming in and out, different waves on tour. I mean, it's really, really, really impressive. And it's a testament. One, obviously, he's an unbelievable surfer. You can't get to there and you can't stay there if you're not. But also just, and he speaks about it in here, like he had a probably better competitive mindset and understanding of how heats work than 95% of people on tour or else he wouldn't have been able to make it that long. I think he had a better understanding of not just heats. <laughs> I, I think it wasn't, <laughs> he could have just stop there. I have a better understanding than 95% of the people on tour. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Of what? Of That's fair. It all. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's all because he stayed home for his um his last year exams when Parco and Mick and everybody else went to Makaha. That's pretty much where what it all came down to. He aced the test. That's it. That's it. But uh, let's hear from him. Let's get a little ace audio on the show. Hey, Buck and Mikey. This is Taylor Paul here to tell you about my staff interview with Ace Bucken. Uh, and sorry for not just having a clip of Ace here in his own words, but the quality of the recording did not fit the quality of a uh, elite podcast like this. So anyway, uh, I've interviewed Ace a bunch over the years and he's always been kind of what you'd expect from Ace. He's smart, he's kind, he's measured, but um, he's not always juicy. Um, But speaking to him last week about his retirement, he was more open than I've ever heard him uh, on the record at least, especially about the changes from the WSL over the past couple of years. Ace was on the inside as the surfers rep when things like the meteor cut and the final five were being discussed. And he definitely pushed back on behalf of the surfers. And he goes over that in this interview. Um, We also talked about his experience being a budding pro versus the experience of kids today. Uh, Ace only got to surf for about 20 minutes a day when he was a kid due to immense school obligations, uh, which is obviously light years away from the experience of kids today. So that was an interesting take from him. Um, he's currently working in his retirement, quote unquote retirement. He's working at a wave pool company development group called Aventure. Uh, and he's got an interesting theory about wave pools and how in some ways they might even be more democratic than the ocean, even though the ocean is free. Um, he explains that better than I just did. Fun side note on that. I actually talked to Glenn micro hall before I did the interview with ACE just to get some background to see what's going on in his life. And apparently he's also working with Aventure. He said he gets on these calls with Ace and the rest of the team, you know, these big wigs and these tech geniuses or whatever. And he said that Ace is just like speaking a different language that he's never heard even come out of Ace's mouth. And he was like, you guys just been dumbing it down for us surfers all these years. And I've actually worked with Ace at a Waco back in the day and can attest to that uh, assessment from Micro. Anyway, uh, the interview is on the site now, or it will be in the next day or so by the time you hear this. Go read it. 30-day free trial, Stab Premium. Enjoy. Three reflections on a recent East Coast swell event. How good are swell events? What a term. I like that. Yeah, term. when was your last swell event? It's so much better than run, run of waves or run of swell. Swell event. It's an event. Attend. Will you be attending, Mikey? Well, this was a good one. Anyway. It was, what, 10, 12 days? Yeah. I mean, the East Coast of Australia was pumping for a while, which is why 
uh, one of our writers, stab staffer Eden Hawk is his name. He <laughs> just decided that he's going to have himself a little week off. Um, and it looked like it panned out for him. He went just full surf turkey. And it led to some interesting thoughts, some just reflective. He's smart. I like Ethan. He is very smart. But one thing really stuck out to me here, and um, it was the snake. I felt so bad for the snake. I know. And it. so I, I had a recent snake encounter. Um, I live right now, I live in this like really old house, basically in the middle of a jungle. There's like nothing around. It's just like trees. Like there's like often like monkeys climbing on my roof and stuff like that, uh, which is awesome. But... I recently had a snake crawl up onto my front porch and it wasn't little, it was a large snake and that was a little bit too far for me. And now I, you know, I obviously just kind of like let it, let it do its thing and it cruised off eventually and it was fine. But now I'm thinking I maybe should have just gone ahead and offed the thing because it seems as though there is some sort of ritual sacrifice thing that's going on here. Because after I didn't kill that snake, I went on what should have been a swell event um, over here in the in the in central america and i got absolutely skunked so that's yeah i don't know if there's like if it's a direct connection if i should have killed that snake or i don't know what are your thoughts ah i said in one of our slack channels hey i don't want this to be we don't need to sacrifice a snake every time there's a swell event so i'm kind of upset to hear this um all right look i don't want we could end up in a bad place here. If if the Gulf state people are mad because we broke the wave pool news, if we get them on us, we'll get the reptile people mad at us with the snakes. That's not where I want to be <laughs> as, a, as an outlet. So I'm a little bit nervous. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be the outlet that sacrifices a snake every swell event. But if we have to get waves, I don't think there's really snakes over here. I, don't, I haven't seen one. Mm, in Ireland, there's not. But... I guess also on the flip side of that whole luck coin, you could also just say, I mean, the swell event surely would have continued if the WSL didn't come to town, right? Like we can just say that flat out. Oh, well, that's, a, yeah, yeah, that's obvious. Okay. So I, that's, um, it's, it's, the ocean has a great, a longstanding tradition of doing that now. Okay. Well, let's just then let's keep it positive. Let's just say that instead of killing snakes, we'll just make sure that the WSL doesn't come to town and that way we can ensure good swell events coming into the future. Dubai, watch out. Yeah, yeah, watch out. Let's hear from Eden Hawk, the story's writer. Ethan here, Stab Rider. Thought I'd just do a quick recap for my spoil event story, which is currently on site. If you live on the east coast of Oz, you know the past month has been a pretty incredible runaway. Dean Morrison went as far as saying Snap Sand is a 9.5 out of 10 and hasn't been as good since 2014. Anyhow, the whole case has been cooking, so I wanted to write a bit more of a narrative-based story highlighting some takeaways. I took the week off to surf, so clocked some caves on the Adomito and surfed a bunch between Ballon and Beaches in Burley. My first observation makes note of how good some everyday Joes are at surfing. Saw it for myself at Lennox with an unassuming bloke called Muzz posting 17 plus points in the unofficial heat of the day against Conor O'Leary. Made some impossibly deep tubes and laid it on rail just as well as the kind uh, offered by CT Wizards. Bit of a celebration of the average everyday non-pro surfer. Second observation is that the best of the best because they are the best. While average Joes can have stellar showings, the pros are so good because they're predictably excellent across myriad conditions almost every day. Which is to say, Muzz might beat Connor one in every hundred sessions, but pros are the North Star you, I, and Muzz must aspire towards and forever never reach. 
Third observation is a bit more of a rule for life, and that is simply not to use crowds as an indicator for good waves. I use the example of Mars, who sat on a slightly inferior peak and got nearly every wave. Cunts like Mars are smart and worked out the surf happiness calculus, which can be roughly formulated as level of stokedness equals wave quality minus expectation minus the number of people. So that's a brief rundown, tried something a little different. You also might pick up on some residual guilt over squashing a very cute non-venomous snake on my way to the surf, which I failed to wash off in the water. I don't know, maybe it was a sacrificial snake for the swell event. If you deem squashing snakes as a surf sin, you can tell me my penance. Have a swell day. Nineties porn, the rise and demise of Europe's first surf camp. What a fun read. Is this fucking real? Did you? I wanted your perspective on it because at least, like, you're going to be in that area soon. You're going to see that forest. Like, that forest is it's awesome. I love that zone. Um, and he, I just, yeah, what, what's your context? How did you feel about this as a full outsider without much context into that region? So, pretty much when I read this, I thought that this was just something that came out of Paul's brain until I went down to the comments and read that, like, some of our subscribers had actually like been there at that time. And then I still thought it was maybe like they were just going along with the joke or something like that. It just sounded like so fucking far-fetched. I get, I, I don't know. I'd never heard of this. Um, it doesn't seem realistic. Like how do all these people live in the fucking forest? There's no money apparently. Like I just, Tom Curran shows up. Uh, he starts building a fire out of wet wood. Like, I don't know. It all just seems insane to me. Yeah, the wet wood detail is just, that was the most incredible one i think um yeah i don't know it was such a good and such a good story and the comments on our site were some of my favorites like seeing people that had either heard of it or been there one guy talks about how the experience of going there changed his life that he fully just decided to build his life around surfing traveled french guy ended up moving to australia and now still lives there like because he went to this forest one time and hung out around a wet wood fire with tom curran all right well you should maybe give a little bit more context because I feel like we just went straight into reacting to this. and We were excited. We were excited. You're right. Yeah. Okay. So, the rise and demise of Europe's first surf camp. This was a, a camp, not like a, hey, here's a big building that I'm calling a camp. This was just people camping in the woods that kind of started with this guy, Carmen Williams, um, a Welsh pro surfer who is just like... Sounds like an oxymoron. It does, and I've never met the guy, but anytime, like, he has so much street cred around here, and I think he must be the most lovely guy, because whenever his name comes up with somebody that has interacted with him, it's, like, the most positive thing ever. Um, so he started this thing, and just for a few summers, people would always go to the same spot. It kind of got more and more popular, but it was, like, in this controlled way for a while, and People like Tom Curran would cruise through, which is really interesting. Um, and then it kind of got too big. Well, not even too big, just too weird, it sounded like. Another detail I wanted to call out, too, was just like, because, you know, I think France has laws about camping in the in places. Like, if you're, if you're a certain distance from, like, a, a road, there's a lot of places where you're allowed to camp, just like kind of wild camp. Um, you just have to be not in a restricted area and not close enough to a road or a town 
Uh, this was probably, I don't know if this was legal or not, but still the cops would like come through and check on them and just be like having beers with them and just not really care about whatever they were doing, which in many cases was smoking weed or hashish. Um, it just sounded like this magical era. Like you said, Mike, you, you thought it was, you thought it was made up. It just doesn't, I just don't even understand how it makes sense. Like what, I mean, I guess they said that that they would steal food from the grocery stores and whatever, but they said there was like a hundred, no, they said there were hundreds of people there at the peak just living there there was no money exchanged and they were just digging holes uh taking shits and going surfing five times a day on this magical sandbank that apparently north swells broke through summer so i don't know it just seems like too many things all happening at once that are just too perfect but i guess it happened and it sounds like i mean kind of a utopia kind of a dystopia at the same time i don't even really know but i'm really glad it happened it was an amazing story. I never would have known this was a thing if Paul didn't surface it. So good on you, Paul. And yeah, I just... So to be clear, is this the place in like Modern Collective where they, they walk through the forest and then they go on the beach and they find this playful little wave and there's that really nice side boob on the on the sand? That is a like 200 kilometer stretch of that. Like that forest is massive. Oh, wow. So... That's um. So there may or may not have been side boobs in this area. If you go anywhere in the area in the summer, you're gonna get side boobs. You're gonna get full boobs. Um, you're gonna get a fun peak, and you'll get to walk through some cool trees and think about Carmen Williams. So do we get to do that in like three weeks? Yeah, we do. We do. We can go up into the forest. Wow. And there's like there's parts where there's like hits of it, like little mini forests, like in towns and stuff that you can see, which like a lot. Yes, Modern Collective, but so much surf stuff has been shot in there because it is like it's trees and sometimes the light comes through and it's nice, it's beautiful. But I feel like I've seen, maybe I'm more exposed to it over here, but I have seen so many fucking things, people carrying surfboards through those trees. Um, great experience. I don't need to see another image of it, let's say. Is it like the, the lowers uh, railroad track, basically, of France? 100%. 100% is. Uh, just like sense of place without giving too much to your, oh, I get it. Like this is, yeah, it's that exactly. Um, I also loved that Steve, Stephen Bell hated it. That just makes me so happy. I don't know Belly, but it just sounds like something he would hate. Ah, uh, well that is, let's leak one stab highway challenge. One challenge I think we have for these people is to have them criticize your surfing because I think there's just no, <laughs> it's such a unique experience of surfing. Just have Stephen Bell just, and I'd imagine like, I think we could, you could just get him to record a video of it, but just have him being like, just it's telling you that you suck at surfing. It's going to be so awesome. <laughs> I'm strangely so excited for that one. One thing I wanted to call out though is because this was happening in the 90s and I was in a surfboard factory the other day and they had a big old stack of old surfer magazines. I happened to pick up one from, it was the June 1997 issue. Oh, that was a good one. And on Surfer Magazine, yeah, Kalani Rob got the cover on a rusty looking all pointy and on the cover they had this cover blurb of a story in there that was like the main story of the month that was just 25 reasons why right now is the best time to be a surfer and it struck me as so funny because it seems like that's what sur how surfing feels right now it seems like right now we could probably write a story about why june 1997 was the best time to be a surfer. Like, we could probably come up with 25 reasons why that's the case, and people would love it. Like, it just seems like right now, surfing's having a moment where that era is just completely, like, 
it's just pornography for people. It truly is. Are, so does that make us, are we in the worst time? Are we in like an average time right now to be a surfer? I looked through and actually the list was not that good. It was like, it was pretty <laughs> shit. But uh, I looked through and they didn't build a, they didn't talk much about the future. They were saying it's better than it was, I guess, but they weren't really saying it was at its peak. But I interpreted it as like, wow, it did surfing peak in June, 1997, the the Bible of the sport, so to speak. By the way, now that they're like, I think they got bought by another thing or changed hands again, and they're like kind of trying to do some stuff again, like their site is still like this kind of running ghost thing. I'm going to go, I'm going to zag a little bit and say right now is actually the time to say Surfer Magazine is the Bible of our sport because it is this just kind of weird thing with mysterious authors that boomers go to read when they're confused. So it's the Bible of sport. One more story you got to know about this week. Dane Kealoha has passed away. This is a bummer. Dane was 64. He'd been battling with cancer. He was just... You have to know who Dane Kailoha is. And if you don't, then when you see a photo, you'd be like, oh, that's Dane Kailoha. But he was that kind of classic Hawaiian power surfer. He was a pioneer of the pig dog. He was a pipe master. He was doing some early towing at Jaws. So he was just this Hawaiian legend that could displace way more water than many other people that have ever inhabited this planet. And so... Buck and I combined could not, try to do like a carve and it yeah it would, it would not, not be enough it would not be enough um so that's a bummer thoughts prayers to his family anyway before we get to the surf sin a few more things that you should know about we are having more stab in the dark parties uh we're, we're doing them every saturday here in portugal we're gonna get something going in france um there's something in lamore it's very exciting that we'll tell you more about soon and with Stab in the Dark rolling out all month, we're doing a free month-long trial, so you watch all the apps. And as we said last week, get in there, make yourself at home. You're not going to leave. You can't leave. You're locked in for life. Um, some more things coming on the site. Obviously, Stab in the Dark. We've got a Stab out of the Year entry about to go live from... Another Euro. A kid from Barcelona. A Barcelona... Our first Barcelonan. We're going full Euro. We're going Euro. We're embracing it. Euroforce is coming back. Let's get Tim Bull back on the fucking tour. It's time. And then I promised a while ago a pirate's guide to surf forecasting. I did the research and a great interview with Ben Freeston again this week. That guy's incredible. I, I will soon have a guide, a pirate's guide to surf forecasting, where if you want to just be a complete cowboy and ignore all of the incredible sources of information out there and do your own research <laughs> this story will be for you folks so that's coming next week as well so is this guy just going rogue now that magic seaweed has been absorbed by surfline because i would if i was him no his point is like i think once you do this you'll realize that like <laughs> you don't want to <laughs> like you'll re- and you'll see the value and i mean he's, he's got a good point too in that like even just trying at this very base level will make you appreciate the products that are already out there more. And even just like caring about stuff more, like you're more likely to probably, you might buy a nicer car if you know more about cars or something, you know, it's like the more you know about something, the more you care and the more you can see value in it in a way. Um, So anyway, if you want to be a cowboy, be a cowboy with me, read the piece. It's coming next week. 
And now it is time for a surf sand. Good day, Stab Mag. Coming in with a surf sin that I've held onto for way too many years that I need to get out of my system. Now, first of all, I'm withholding my identity for fear of backlash or copycats. And second of all, I may or may not be posting this from someone else's account. So let's get into it. Now, as a grom with no dollars and no cents, I bought a new wetsuit. Spent the whole winter surfing and pissing in it. By the following winter, well, it stunk, didn't it? So I thought it'd be a good idea to chuck it in the wash, a hot wash with soap. Much to my dismay, Although the wetsuit smelt good, it was absolutely ruined. All the tape was coming off the seams. It was basically kaputskis. So I went to the website of the wetsuit maker and they said they had a 12 month warranty. Well, I tried my luck with sending it back in, claiming it was bad workmanship. And what do you know, they sent me a new one. But the sin doesn't stop there, boys. Unfortunately, the following winter, well, I put it in another hot wash, didn't I? And I sent it back again, didn't I? And they sent me another new one, didn't they? So I sit before the surf gods and you, repenting, ask you, give me a fair penance. I need to release this guilt. Okay. Um, as a podcast listener, you don't get this, but I really recommend you go on the Stab Instagram page where all these feature now and you watch this because it's a fucking piece of art. It's brilliant. It really is. <laughs> He's great. The opening thing, he really got into that book. Like, that was incredible. The, the guy surfaces out of a bush to tell his thing in a funny little hat. It's, I almost had to, I think I had to watch it twice because the first time I was so just into that, I wasn't listening that closely. So this is, the bar was set here in terms of the production level that we expect with these surf scenes. Well done there. Well done there. But you're an absolute sinner. Yes. And Anonymous is in, I've come to realize, especially now that we've gone the Instagram route. Yeah, and I love, like, that's where you should have your fun with your production level. And that's like, I mean, the guy who told me to go fuck myself, (laughs) I think I said it, but I was watching that. I was, like, literally doing dishes on vacation, and my friend just, like, handed me his phone, being like, you have to watch this. And, like, oh, surf's in. It's pretty funny. And then I just have this guy in this weird outfit tell me to fuck myself. (laughs) And I was like, it made me so happy. So don't rob me of that joy. If you're going to submit a surf sin, fuck you if you don't tell me to fuck myself. Um, but still, this one was great. This one, beyond other than that, it, it made me really happy. But uh, he's a borderline criminal. We put these on Instagram first so that we can mine some of our uh, followers' uh, penances so that we can deliver them on this podcast. Do you have any comments that stood out to you, Buck, as a viable penance from the proletariat? Yeah, for me, it's, it's surfboard broker. Now you have to wear a neon 80s wetsuit for the next year. I don't think it has to be a suit from the 80s, and a year is a bit staunch, but I think wearing a neon suit or just some level of old wetsuit, I don't I don't think it needs to be old style-wise. Well, actually, that's Surfboard Brokers thing. That's their penance. I'm not going to say it, but that was my favorite suggestion, I guess. How about you? Okay, okay. I liked one from the handle is underscore H void, and he said, or she said, you can't surf until you find someone in the car park who will let you borrow their wetsuit. And you have to do it two times because you did this twice. And I think that's fantastic. That's really funny. I mean, I've like, I've a few times, have you ever tried to borrow a surfboard on the beach? It's really weird. No, not from like a stranger. Oh yeah. I've, I've done it a few times. Like, and I've mostly done it when it's like, I'm down to the beach and I think the waves are shit. So I don't bring a board down. And then there's like a wave that's enticing. And so it's like, 
at least the last two times I've done it, I've done this many times. I'm kind of, I have a lot of experience in this field. Uh, last two times I did it, both times were over here in Europe, so I had to ask in a different language that I'm not great at, so that I think probably added to it, just shitty accents and all that. Um, and it was so small that the people were beginners. And in one case, it was a rental board, so I had to, like, they were afraid that I was going to damage it. Like, And it's weird to kind of say, like, no, I could surf without being a dick. You're like, you're going up to a stranger, you want to be like, I surf good, you know? Um but barring barring a wetsuit is next level. That's and also, would you believe someone if they told you they surfed well? Like, yeah, it's a strange experience. It's almost like less in the words, more in everything else. It's a strange experience. But when you're dealing with a complete beginner, like I when I was dealing with somebody who rented a board for the day, it was like their first time surfing. Where they don't know how to judge that. They're like, I just hope this guy doesn't damage this board, and I have to pay for it. Um, highly recommend it. It's just a fun experience. Barring a surfboard from a stranger, barring a wetsuit from a stranger. Good luck. Um, funny, though. Very funny. <laughs> That's so next level. <laughs> <laughs> like, under what circumstances would you lend someone, a stranger, your wetsuit? I know. I mean, I would. I would. It would have to be a really good, really convincing. I would. I actually lent a guy a board the other day, too, that was on a um, bachelor party. He was wearing one of those Borat thongs. And it was like, high tide. His friends asked if you borrow it. <laughs> and it was this turbo shore break with rocks. And I was like, oh, my board could get damaged, but like, I kind of want to watch this guy with his little pecker get smashed. And he got so lit up and my board was fine. That's great. That's a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what do you got penance-wise? We've got some good suggestions, but what do you got, High Priest? All right. So yeah, as, as you said, you think this guy's a criminal. You worked for ostensibly a wetsuit company, so I could see how you could be like kind of more even deeply personally offended by this. Um, I do think what he did was wrong. I think the first time was okay because it was like borderline accidental. Like he kind of knew what he was doing, but like it was also like, oh shit. And then, oh, let's see if this works. And then it works. Like that's that's not so bad, right? We've, we've all done something similar to that. Two times shows intent and malice. And frankly, he didn't go this far, but I'm not convinced that he didn't at least try a third time because... Like, who gets up from a slot machine that just keeps fucking paying him out, right? Like, that just doesn't happen. Like, he for sure tried a third time. He just didn't want to include that. So I think the only way forward here, you're, I mean, whatever. At the end of the day, a wetsuit company, it either went bankrupt or it's still fine. Either way, you can't do much about that. Um, but what you can do is you can pay it forward. So I want him to buy a local Grom. And not one of these like fucking soccer mom and dad groms with sponsors and they get brought down to the beat. But, like think about like an like an ace bucket, like a guy who gets to serve 20 days or 20 minutes a day because he's got all these other fucking things going on. Or he's just, you know, a kid that maybe gets to surf a lot, but he's got, you know, really old gear. He doesn't really have that much support. You got to buy him a wetsuit for the winter season. Uh, it sounds like you're in the Southern Hemisphere. So that's now basically. And I think that this will, yeah, you'll feel good every time you see this kid use it. He'll be warm, he'll be happy, and the world will be a better place for it. And you can even, if you want to, I mean, maybe this kind of reverses your your penance, but you could even teach him the dryer trick if you want to just keep the cycle alive, then he'll have to buy somebody else a wetsuit, and it'll just be this kind of, like, pass it on thing. Wow, look at you, Mikey. Heartwarming. That little French forest story got you all, the little commune in the forest got you all uh, sentimental, huh? It really did. Okay, I like that. I like that. That's that's warm. That's positive. Mine, I'm going to look at it a little bit differently. Like, I 100% back this move 
if you didn't like if you could surf your suit into a state of into a horrid state within a year um and you could still get it a new one through warranty that's a sick move that's core score up but the fact that you're using this washing machine to intentionally damage them that's no good so that's what i'm going to focus on my penance and so on behalf this is a real this is a real thing by the way on behalf yes it sounds serious of the association of home appliance manufacturers the aham if you will i hereby sentence you to a six-week ban from doing your laundry you cannot wash your clothes for six weeks in the machine or even by hand you cannot wash your clothes for six weeks wow on behalf of the aham that's what you you that's you abused a piece of machinery that was not designed to do that that's disrespectful to the engineers that's disrespectful to the manufacturers i don't know why i'm getting more mad about the washing machine than the surf company who <laughs> made them a nice wetsuit but i just think that home appliance manufacturers don't get the credit they deserve and for you just abuse a machine like that i'm not down six weeks banned that's really i hope he's got a lot of underwear well there you have it to our anonymous sinner you have four different options now you can go with a neon suit you can ask someone to borrow their wetsuit twice you can pass it for or pay it forward and get some local kid a wetsuit or you can just not wash your clothes for six weeks six weeks um so those those are your options i think it's only i mean come on that's that's plenty of options to choose from if we really hope that you'll do this and you'll send in some sort of um you know video evidence that really makes us feel warm and fuzzy on the inside so yeah i need more videos from this guy he's great he's really really good so um anyway anything else Buck? that's all just know that the bar has been set high with this one i think it's an incredible sin and the production level did not disappoint so free subscription if you get on there Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. As Buck said, if you submit a surf sin and we select it, we publish it on Instagram and on this podcast, you will get a free year of Stab Premium. What that means is we need a video from you, 60 seconds or less, filmed vertically on an iPhone. You can be anonymous if you want. We also love to see your faces, but keep it short, keep it punchy, and yeah, bring out some some entertainment value like this last guy. It was really good. Uh, with that, we've got a really big week coming up. Um, we've got Stab Highway Europe coming soon. We're going to go into production in about two to three weeks. Uh, we also have another trip that I'm going on this week with a couple of the biggest pro surfers in the world or the most popular pro surfers in the world, especially our Stab fans. I'm going to give you more info next week about where we're going and with whom because I don't want to blow it out, but I think you guys are going to be so excited about this project that we're working on. It's a brand new one, nothing you've ever seen before, and we're really excited about it. So with that, over and out. Thank you.